when I was a wee lad, uh, it was, we, they didn't have the, the season passes to Disneyland. Uh, so Disneyland was a really big deal. Uh, my kids, they kind of expect Disneyland on a regular basis. And if they don't get it, then I'm being a bad parent. Uh, but that wasn't the case because I was raised by uh, good God-fearing folk. And so it was a little different for me. Um, Disneyland was a big deal. I remember uh, one time I was very young and my cousins were visiting for, from Arizona and we, uh, we were going to Disneyland, it was a big deal and I was, I was you know, screwing my courage to the sticking point because this time, this time I was going to ride Space Mountain. I wasn't, I wasn't going to wimp out like usual, I was going to go all the way and, and get on. Um, so, you know, the lines of course in July are long and so it was like 90, 95 minutes um, and we're getting really close to the line when suddenly I have to eat. I've been waiting so long. Mom, Dad, please, I just need that. They've got Astro Burgers over there uh, in Tomorrowland, Futureland, whatever they call it. Uh, I just, I needed it so badly. It's, it's right next to Star Tours, and they got the delicious French fries with, at the time, Hunt's instead of Heinz ketchup, but we let that slide. Um, and, and, and this delicious burger. And I needed it so bad, I was just, my, my, my insides were crawling. I needed to be full. And then um, my parents were like, yeah, we just waited 90 minutes. You're going to ride the ride. So I sucked it up um, because I had no choice. And uh, I got on the ride. And it was the most exciting experience I'd ever had. And I got off the ride and my parents were like, all right, you ready to go to Astro Burgers? And I was like, what? I'd forgotten I was hungry. Because I was so distracted by the lights and the sound, the movement. Um, My adrenaline was pumping. And suddenly that deep, that deep powerful need, that craving, gone, wiped out. I'd forgotten that I needed to get full. Paul's going to pray for the Ephesians today. And the Ephesians are people who are scared. And they don't, they're so scared they're distracted, they don't know what it's like to need to be full. I think we've got a different problem, we're going to talk about that. We're so distracted that we've forgotten that we need to be full. Uh, let's stand and, and hear uh, Paul's teaching. He says, for this reason, and we'll talk about that, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, Ephesians, and you, Coast Bible Church, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all of God's people, the saints, the width and length and depth and height, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, is beyond knowledge, that you may be full, filled with all God's fullness. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, that spirit power, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, at the beginning, you notice that Paul said, for this reason, he's going to pray for the Ephesians. Well, the, re- the reason is, is that the church in Ephesus is, is discouraged. They're beat up. We actually talked about the fog of war a month or two ago, about what it's like for them living, being harassed, being excluded. And what's even worse is that they know Paul's in jail and that he's probably going to get murdered because of his faith. And they're looking at that and they're like, we love you, Paul. And they're also thinking, 
I hope that doesn't happen to us too. And so in a situation like that, where the church is scared, beat up, discouraged, what kind of prayer is Paul going to pray? What is it that he's going to ask for? Well, I would ask you, what do we do in similar situations when we pray for somebody we know is discouraged or beat up or a little bit scared? Well, I suggest to you, I suggest to you that our, our prayer could, could almost be summed up, okay, not you, me, I'm a little, I'm not as holy as a lot of you. Uh, I, I, my prayer could be summed up as pretty much, hang in there, buddy. I know it's tough out there, but just, grr, you can do it. And it's not that I'm not sincere, I am, I am. But my tendency, when people are discouraged and beat up, is to pray small. Because I'm scared, of course, that God's not going to do what God needs to do in my mind to make them whole. And so I have these little tiny, nice prayers, like, hang in there, buddy. And these are good prayers, I'm not knocking them, and we're going to see that Paul does a little bit of that too. But Paul's going to go big. He's going to get crazy. He's going to go off the reservation Because Paul's not worried just about you hanging in there, buddy. Paul's ultimate concern is that every person at the church of Ephesus, every person at the Coast Bible Church, gets full. And so what exactly does he pray for? Well, he's going to pray for three common things. Three, if you're in the church for a while, hang in there, buddy, type things. And they're good things, and they're real things, and we'll see that. But then, but then he's going to come with two, I would say, uncommon requests. Requests that should shake us up a little bit, and should question our prayer lives a little bit. Question what we think we're in the business of doing here in the church, what we think we're in the business of doing with each other before God. Two uncommon requests. He's going to get crazy. He's going to go off the reservation, and I wonder if he's going to challenge us to do the same thing. But before we get there, we've got to look at these three common themes and requests, the basics. And we should see our own prayers here, and I'm not suggesting these aren't a good pattern. They are. Let's, we're, and we'll, we'll check it out. We'll see. We'll measure our prayers and see if our prayers do, in fact, follow something along the lines of what Paul does for the Ephesians. Look back at the text. He says, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. So weird. A little weird. The whole family in earth and heaven and earth is named. Well, Paul's actually getting a little mileage here. Paul, um, uh, the, 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 the Greek there is two words. Um, the word for father is patera, right? And the word for family is patria. So in Greek, uh, these words are semantically related because we talked to, during Father's Day a little bit about paterfamilias. That's Latin, but uh, you, it's, uh, it's related to the Greek. The, the idea of a, a household or a family is very much connected to the person of the father in, in a way that maybe is a little less common for us now. But in Paul's world, that's what it is. You identify the family by the father, and the father's character and the father's nature determines the character and family, or the character and nature of the family itself. And so Paul says he's reminding the Ephesians who God is, who the father is. He's, he's kind of paraphrasing it. He's saying every family in the whole world that deserves the name family derives its nature, its character from God, the true loving father. God's fatherhood is the best of the best. God's fatherhood is the kind of fatherhood that every good fatherhood uh, relates to or draws on. This is why he says, for this reason I bow my knees. You see, Paul doesn't need to bow his knees because he's, bowing, he's, he's talking to a father, a daddy. When Alice needs something from me, she doesn't come up and like, oh, daddy, please get me to the pool today. No, she kind of walks up and she's like, 
pool. Let's go. I'm just kidding. She doesn't really. She's better trained than that. But you, can, but you see the difference, though, right? Because she has a very familial relationship with me. She knows that I love her. She knows that I want to do good things for her. She knows I want to send my dad to take her to the pool instead of myself. Yeah. But she knows that I want good things for her. That relationship is tight. And so when Paul says, for this reason, I bow down to God, he's shocking them. He's saying, he's saying I don't need to do this, but this is how much this matters for me. He's reminding them, God is a good father. And yet, despite that, I know how tough your situation is. But if we can trust this father, if we can trust this good father, then good things are going to happen. It's the first thing in your note sheet. God is the paradigm of a good father who looks out for his people. He's reminding the Ephesians, God's not like these other gods. He's not like Caesar. He's not like all these other things in your world that are cold and alienating and, and oppressive. God's a good daddy. I'm happy to report that when we pray our small prayers, we very often remind ourselves that God is a good daddy. I think it's really cool that um, it's uh, been kind of a catchphrase now. God is good all the time. People say that. It's been in some movies, uh, some Christian movies. That's a good thing to remember, that God is good. God is good all the time. He's a good daddy. And that's a common thing. Our prayers should remember that because if we remember that, something's going to happen. Look back at the text, this next common thing. This is what's going to happen. From whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, Ephesians and Coast Bible Church, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, the inner person, your core. According to the riches of his glory. Uh, In Ephesians and and Colossians, uh, which are very strongly related books, um, Riches kind of is like shorthand uh, when we're talking about God's riches uh, for um, payoff for understanding something. So when, when Paul says the, if, that you may, uh, uh, according to the riches of his glory, the riches, the wealth, if we start to understand how much kind of glory God's got, if we start to recognize the value and the wealth and the expanse and the extent of that glory, there's going to be a major payoff. Because it's going to be a game changer in our minds and our hearts. We, we, we live, um, you know, as, as Byron said, functionally atheist a lot of the time. Uh, we, we walk around and we say, yeah, God's glorious, God's powerful. But in our actual lives, we don't really operate that way. Because we're not sure he really is. But if God would grant you according to the riches of his glory, to get that sense of his power and his might, then you might be strengthened, empowered through his spirit and the inner person. When the Holy Spirit reveals the extent of God's God's glory, we're going to have a ton of ability. We're going to be strengthened up, ready to go. We're going to have that kind of energy, that kind of uh, experience of of, of assurance and, and value that we know God's on our side and he can do what he needs to do. If we were to kind of sum that up, it's Paul saying, hey, you need to, and this is on your note sheets, remember, remember the extent of God's power and rely on it for courage. You know, God's glory, it is a Shekinah bright glory, but it manifests itself in acts of power and deliverance in, per- in people's lives, in their hearts, and then in their circumstances. That awesomeness, that right-making ability of God, when we recognize that and we experience it as deep in our hearts, We get courage for the next thing. 
Remember that God's the paradigm of a good father. Remember the extent of his power. Rely on it for your courage, Ephesians. Do we claim this in our prayers? Yeah, I think so. We, we, uh, we, we, a lot of times we do it when we're, uh, when we're praying for the sick. You know how we do it. We say um, something like this. We say, God, we know that you can heal. And if that's your will, please do it. We also know sometimes you don't. And if that's your will, that's okay too. You're going to be glorified regardless. That's a good thing. Those are true things. Those are true things. We've seen healings here. And we've also seen not healings. What's fascinating to me is that in both cases, yeah, God gets glorified. His power is made manifest. Sometimes in the midst of a memorial service. These are two common themes, requests, that Paul is pouring out his heart for the Ephesian church and for Coast Bible Church. There's another one. Look at verse 17. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Paul requests that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I've highlighted this one because it could be a little confusing for us. Um, it, it, in conjunction with Revelation 3.20, which is where um, you know, I stand at the door and knock, he who uh, opens the door I will come in and, and dine with him. If you take that verse and you take this verse and you put them together, you get um, what we a lot of times use to, to, to share the gospel, invite Jesus into your heart. You may have heard this um, from Christians or in the church before. Invite Jesus into your heart. It's a way that we have of saying something like, let's trust Jesus, trust him for eternal life. Invite him into your heart. I want to suggest that that's not really um, the the right way to read this particular text. Um, This is not about salvation. We know that because Paul's talking to the Ephesians. They already believe in Jesus. And yet, Paul has the audacity to say, I pray that Christ may, may dwell in your hearts through faith, that, that Christ may kick in the door and take up residence, that he might settle in to your hearts. If this isn't salvation, what is it? I don't know. Bob's finances are really on my heart these days. There's something about Jenny's situation. I don't know. It just keeps settling on my heart. There's a lot going on in the United States, um, and, and, and I'm worried about it. It's just on my heart all the time. When we say these things, we're saying something very similar to what Paul is saying. That, that there are things that kind of settle in. They make room in our thoughts and emotions, our, our, our inner being, the, the focus of our attention. And they, and, they, and they occupy space there, and we can't get away from them because they're right at the core of us. And Paul's saying, wouldn't it be better if Jesus were the one that were there? And it's interesting, that happens through faith, right? And faith here being like simple trust, that happens through trusting him. Um, I'm really, really bad at this. I'm really, really bad at, at having Jesus, right? I hate to admit that, but it's true. At the heart, at the center of myself, so that everything I do and say and think, that it's somehow, um, that Jesus is, is, is there and I'm trusting him for everything that happens in my day. And that's not good. 
I look up to my wife in this, in this, uh, in this type of thing. When she, she spends a lot of time in the car, she spends a lot of time running. And all of that time is spent processing and putting everything in life before Jesus. And trusting him with that. Recentering her thoughts to trust him with that stuff. That he settle in and make room. And that in that, she can have a tight, full recognition that he's the boss. He's the one who's in charge. He's the one who's right at the core of things. And that's the third thing on your note sheets. Put Jesus at the center of your heart and trust him for day-to-day needs and concerns. You know, nothing's too big or too small. We say that, and it's true. We really ought to be always in dialogue with everything in life, coming back to Christ and trusting him with it, good and bad, big and small. Do we do this? Okay, I admitted to you, I, I don't. But that's, I mean, I know I should, and I'm trying. But I think that as a church, we do. One of the things I love about y'all is that you, you show me what prayer warriors look like. You show me what it looks like to have Jesus right at the center, and everything's processed through the knowledge, the sure knowledge that he's involved. And, and when we you know, have our, our prayers in public here, it's, it's fascinating just how big and wide and deep we get when we talk about the things we bring before the Lord. There's nothing in this congregation that Jesus isn't involved in that we're not trusting him for. And that's good. And so I think you, you can look at that and you can say, hey, here's a, here's a kind of a pattern for a good prayer. You know, these are important things when you're, when you're, when you're praying. Uh, that we can follow Paul's example, right? Remember that God's the paradigm of a father. He looks out for his people. He's a good daddy. Remember the extent of his power and his glory. And he's big enough and awesome enough and, 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 and capable enough to do what we need. That can give us courage. And then we, we, we put Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, the, the King of kings, right at the center of, 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 our, of our day-to-day needs and concerns. And we just throw him right in his lap. Yeah, we do that. And then Paul goes nuts. I mean, Paul totally loses it in the next section. Paul's prayer for the Ephesians. What exactly is he praying for? Well, he does these three common themes and requests that we just reviewed. Those, those, it's basic stuff. This is the core of your prayer life, right? And then Paul does something that I don't think we do that much. At least I don't. And he gets uncommon in his requests. He gets big. He gets cosmic in his requests. Let's look at what he does. Verse 17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all of the saints the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all God's fullness. You see that? You see the contradiction in what Paul just said? You need to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge. 
It really is. It's like surpasses, transcends, goes way beyond is, is the meaning there. You are called, Paul's praying, God, give this, this grace to them that they may know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. It goes way beyond. And notice how it starts. It, it begins with this rooted and grounded in love. How is that connected to what goes before? That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love, what's the connection? The connection in Paul's mind is when you start setting everything before Jesus in your life, the whole thing, everything you're concerned about, you're going to start to see his love and his, con- his care and his concern. You're going to be rooted in the sense of his grace as it pervades everything in your life. It's like you start having Jesus at the center, right? And then you're going to start having roots come out of you down into the ground, and those roots will be love, his love. As you live this life of trust, and, and you're going to experience his care and his concern in, in your spiritual needs, in your emotional needs, and even in your physical needs to, in, in some ways. It's all going to happen. And as that happens, you, you start on this upward spiral where you trust Jesus. This is Paul thinks. He's crazy. I mean, I know. This is nuts. This is crazy stuff. He thinks you start trusting Jesus with all the stuff in your life, and you're going to experience his love. You're going to experience his forgiveness. You're going to know very deeply the absolute entirety of it. And it's going to be so compelling that you're going to know a love that nobody can know. It's unknowable. It passes knowledge. It's interesting, uh, that, that language there, width, length, depth, height. In the ancient world, that was kind of how you um, located things. Um, and and, it, and it's, it's sort of an ancient way of saying the whole universe, everything there is, that you may be able to comprehend with the saints the everywhere it goes, absolutely cosmic, all-encompassing, unstoppable, unbelievable, unknowable love. It's bigger than you can possibly imagine. In fact, you just can't know it the way you know normal stuff. We've met people like this in our church, people who've done this. There's a settledness about them, a graciousness about them. Because they understand the unfathomable depths and have experienced the unfathomable love of Christ, they have unfathomable love for others. I miss Marianne dearly. But she was somebody who was settled in her recognition of God's forgiveness, his grace, his mercy. She was so settled in it that it didn't matter what you did. She was like, well, dust yourself off. Get back on the horse. It's okay. There's no hammer of judgment above you. There wasn't for me. Instead, the cross carried it all. And when you encounter someone like that, you recognize that there is something beyond just a description, a rational explanation for what God's love is like. It's so powerful, it's so ineffable that it settles your soul. You sit there and you start trusting Jesus with everything. 
and you start thinking about what he did over and over, and you realize the cosmic expanse of his love, and then you know the unknowable love of Christ. This is the first uncommon request in Paul's prayer that the Ephesians know the unknowable love of Christ. Yeah, I kind of get a D on this in my prayer life. I'm sorry, I got to admit it. I'm not quite to the passing grade yet. It's very rare that I pray and say, may you be so settled in the unsearchable riches of God's love that you know what cannot be known. Deeply, fully. And yet Paul does pray this. And this should give us pause. This should give us pause because remember why he's praying all this stuff. Remember, Ephesians, they're beat up, they're discouraged, they're worried for him, worried for themselves. And, and, and Paul does say, hang in there, buddy. Just remember, it's okay. God is powerful. Remember that. He's a good daddy. Remember that. Um, you know, let, let trust everything uh, in your life to, to Jesus. Know that he's you know, in control and command. Paul does that. But then he goes to the next place. And he says, he says also, do that until you're so settled in the love of Christ that you know deeply that which cannot be known. Then Paul gets a little nuttier. Paul, Paul's not satisfied. He's not satisfied with praying that you know the unknowable love of God. He's, he's like, he's, he's just getting warmed up. Now he really wants to go for the coup de grace. Now he really wants to take you to the highest place. He's going to ask some, something for the Ephesians that should be offensive, honestly. And this is what he says in verse 19. That you may know the love of Christ, which is unknowable. That you may be filled full with all God's fullness. That word fill, it's, um, it's, it's this word. It's right here. It's, uh, it's the filling up of a jug, right? And so Paul, Paul wants us to be filled, filled up with God's fullness. A pouring out of love and trust that gets us to sort of do things the way God does things. Sort of feel about things the way that, honestly, in, in some miraculous way, God feels about things. And that's a little weird. That's a little strange. It's kind of a, a strange idea. Um, but it really is. That's the language. It's filling up a jug that you may be fill, filled in the same way that, that God is filled. What is that? What does it mean to be filled the way that God is filled? What is the fullness of God? John 17, 1. Jesus spoke these words lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son also may glorify you, as you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. You glorified me. I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work with which you have given me to do. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. 
So what happens is, 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 is Jesus imagines God pouring out his glory onto him. And then what happens is, is, is that as that glory pours out onto Jesus, it just spills out of Jesus onto all the world. And people start to see this glory, and, and this glory that, that spilled onto, onto, onto Christ and is now spilling out, and they start to come to him. They, they get this incredible benefit from this overflow of God's glory. And then what Jesus says, he says, he says, and then, God, what I'm going to do, we're going to imagine this is, is the Godhead, right? Um, not just uh, one person of the Godhead, but the, the triune God. And so God has, has glorified Jesus, and then Jesus says, I'm going to glorify you, Father. And as he does, as he, he pours out that glory onto the Father, it spills over. It just overflows onto the earth, onto us. That that the goodness and love of God, this, this fullness, it's always full to overflowing. It spills out. There's a surplus. And, and, then, and then in response, we as, as, as believers, the ones who come to the Lord out of this spilling over of his glory, we then, we then pour out our glory and our praise and our honor onto Father and Son. And that is a light in the world. That the world itself is drawn to the glory of God. This is an image of God's fullness, that in God's own life, between Father, Son, and Spirit, there's a constant overflow and surplus of not just glory, but love, of grace, of shalom, full, robust peace. The Father loves the Son, the Son in the Spirit loves the Father, and that love just spills out. It just overflows. You could even think of the created order of the whole universe as, as the overflowing of God's love. God had so much love that he didn't want to just keep it in the Trinity. He, he gives it to the world in creation. And then God has so much love um, in God's self that, that that spills out over into the cross and the incarnation and the forgiveness of sins and the redemption of souls. And then God's glory and his love, it just can't be contained. And so it manifests in the eternal heavens, the second coming of the Lord and the new heavens and the new earth where we all gather. The fullness of God is a life that is so rich with love and glory and peace that it spills out. This is what it looks like to really, really, really be full. That's in your note sheets. This request of Paul is that the Ephesians enjoy the overflow of God's full love, joy, and peace. This is why you knew Marianne was a saint, because that overflow spilled onto you and to me. Yeah, mm, F, F, F minus. I no, not, not. I can't remember a prayer that I've prayed that begged for the overflow of God's rich love, glory, and peace and joy to fill me up and spill out, or fill anyone up and spill out over into the world to enjoy here in this life something of the peace of God. But I'll tell you one thing. It sounds like something I want. 
It sounds like something I want for my family, for this church. It sounds like something I want for myself, for my kids. But it's obviously hard to get, otherwise Paul wouldn't be begging God, begging the Father to spill this out onto his people. How do you get in on this upward spiral, this, this love that begets love, this trust that begets love, that begets love, that begets love, until you know the unknowable and you experience in full the fullness, overflowing fullness of God? The Ephesians, their problem was that they were scared. They were scared. They were worried, discouraged that, 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 you know, that Paul was in trouble and that they were going to be in trouble too. And that is one challenge that we experience. We're, we're scared about whatever is going on in life. And so we're, we're a little bit afraid, honestly, to step out in faith and to begin trusting Jesus and to begin experiencing his love because it might change things for us. It might shake, thing, shake things up or it might not show up at all. And so we get a little worried. And so we're afraid to take that simple step and start putting him at the center and then trusting. That's real. That's, that's life. Yes. That's the Ephesian challenge. I think there's an Orange County challenge. The first time I was ever published was in PC Gamer. Yeah, a magazine. Remember those? A magazine dedicated to computer games. Um, I remember um, how important it was to me to wait until like the fifth of the month or whatever when, like clockwork, PC Gamer would show up in the mailbox and I'd run down, I'd open it up and I'd imagine all the fun things I was going to get to do. Do you remember that, like waiting for stuff? Weird, right? Now it's like, it's like I'm sitting there trying to write the sermon. I'm like, nah, just go to IGN.com, Internet Gaming News. They don't just do games, friends. They also do um, movie reviews, comic books, all the stuff that you want. And they'll give you a fresh update, you know, literally every 15 minutes. There's something new on the website. And you're like, boop, 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 yay! Yeah, it turns out, friends, that um, in this life... We're really distracted. We're not, usually, I think, in Orange County, the issue is not so much that we're scared to start tr- trusting Christ as we are, like, bored. And so we're constantly boop, 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 over here, all this and that. And I just can't be bothered to put him at the center because I've got a lot of other things that I, I prefer. And that means we actually have to be intentional about getting on the upward spiral. We have to be intentional about finding ways to start trusting Christ with everything. And I suggest to you that that comes from regular meetings with the saints, studying the word, putting the word first, reorganizing our schedule, getting out of our comfort zones, meeting with other people in our church, and begin focusing on what God is, what he has done, what he has said, and what he will do. The elders, we've been talking a lot about what it looks like to really fulfill this mission, this call of the church, Bible, grace, family. And one of the things that we need to do if we're really going to be say we're a family is we've got to be hanging out with each other regularly. And if we're going to say that we're really into the Bible, it can't just be Sundays. And if we're going to say that we're really into grace, then we've got to start getting on a path where God's grace starts blowing us away again. Where we start trusting him regularly and he starts pouring out his love and changing what we know until we know what we cannot know. In the fall, we're going to start small groups, like really intentionally. 
Um, the elders have, have, have come together and they're going to start some small groups. Aaron and I are going to start a small group. We are looking for something that matters so much that you're willing to reorganize your schedule, change things up. If you need child care, I'll buy it. I don't care. There is no price too high for us getting together, focusing on the scripture, being a family, and letting God's grace rock us again. Maybe there's something that's on your heart that you want to look at in scripture. Think about doing it together with other believers. Come talk to me. If you want to start a small group, I'm going to get stoked about that. We're going to sit down, we're going to have coffee, and we're going to talk about what it looks like to start connecting with people regularly and sharing God's love and grace as we study his word. If we do that, friends, I believe that we're going to get back on the path, insofar as we're off it, back on the path of knowing the unknowable love of God and enjoying God's fullness and its overflow of his love and joy and grace and peace. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Paul's prayer. Thank you for the elements that are common by our standards and the elements that are uncommon. Thank you for the way it challenges us to be rooted and grounded in love. Thank you for the way it challenges us to go and seek the overflow of your full love, joy, and peace. God, you are a good father. Your power is enough for our courage. As we put Jesus at the center of our lives, we will get on the upward spiral to know the unknowable love and to experience the overflow of your fullness. I ask that for this church. In Jesus' name, amen.